Hello, this is Tommy Peeler, and welcome to Carefully Examining the Text. Today, our subject is Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is a wonderful psalm. It is generally classed as a wisdom psalm. Many of the statements from Psalm 37 sound exactly like things we read in Proverbs. Psalm 37 is an acrostic. There are exceptions to what I'm saying, but most every other verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic. It contrasts the righteous and the wicked. These are all things that are characteristics of psalms we describe as wisdom psalms. But no title or no classification for the psalm does it justice. And this program will not do justice to the power and beauty of Psalm 37. But let's begin by reading the first 15 verses. There are 40 verses. We will not read them all in this podcast. But I do want to read the first 15 where we can at least get a picture, a feel for this psalm. And then try to say some things that will help you in your own reading of Psalm 37. For the New American Standard Bible, a psalm of David, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, and those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the righteous man will be no more. You will look carefully for his place. And he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn their sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in heart. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Those words, powerful words. How do we summarize that and summarize this psalm in a way that's going to help you to learn this psalm? We stated before that in this psalm there is a continual contrast between the righteous and the wicked. On my notes for the psalm, 
I'm going to have all the places that the word wicked is used. And I've counted at least 14 verses within Psalm 37 where we see the wicked referred to. We're also going to have the verses that refer to all the righteous. And there are going to be at least nine verses where the righteous are mentioned in Psalm 37. Now, there are other times that the wicked are referred to in a different way, by a different title than simply that name wicked. Sometimes they're called, for example, wrongdoers and evildoers, like verse 1 of Psalm 37. There are other times that the righteous are referred to by other names and in other ways than simply that title righteous. For example, in verse 11, they are described as the humble. In verse 14, as the afflicted and the needy. But what we want to do as we see that continual contrast between the righteous and the wicked, what is the text trying to emphasize? One of the things the text states the text continually holds before us the end of these various paths. The path of the wicked will ultimately be cut off. That statement is found five times in Psalm 37, that the wicked will be cut off. Another statement that is found five times within the psalm is that the righteous will inherit the land. And sometimes the same verses which emphasize that the righteous will inherit the land emphasize that the wicked will be cut off. For example, verse 9, For evildoers will be cut off. There's the end of the path of wickedness. Evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. So verse 9 uses the righteous and the wicked. It contrasts them and it contrasts the end of their paths. The path of the wicked is cut off and the righteous will inherit the land. Verse 22, for those blessed by him will inherit the land and those cursed by him will be cut off. So that makes a strong contrast between the righteous and the wicked and the end of their paths. In verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. So those verses all make a contrast between the wicked being cut off and the righteous inheriting the land. So in this wisdom psalm, the wicked are emphasized and the righteous are emphasized. The wicked's path will end in destruction and the righteous will be blessed. They will inherit the land. The Bible warns in this psalm of the soon-to-be destruction of the wicked. For example, in verse 2, they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. This is an image found frequently 
in the Psalms. For example, Psalm 90, verses 5 and 6 use this same kind of picture, that the wicked will wither like the grass and fade like the green herb. In verse 10, the Bible says, Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more. You will look carefully for his place and he will be he will not be there the statement that he will be no more he will not be there takes a hebrew word one hebrew word which is sometimes called a particle of non-existence and he says this describes the wicked the wicked will be no more he will not be there Twice it uses this word to emphasize the wicked will be gone, they will be cut off, and basically all trace of them will disappear. Verse 35 and 36 describes the wicked as a tree, as a luxuriant tree. And it says, I passed that way and he was no more. I sought for him and he could not be found. The path of the wicked will end in destruction, but the path of the righteous will lead to blessing. It will lead to blessing. They will inherit the land. Verse 9, verse 11, the humble will inherit the land. By the way, Jesus quotes that in Matthew 5, verse 5. In the Beatitudes, he quotes the Septuagint version of that. The humble, the meek will inherit the land or inherit the earth. The Bible emphasizes that righteousness will result in blessing. It will result in blessing. In verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in time of evil. In the days of famine, they will have an abundance, but the wicked will perish the way of the righteous will end in blessing. The way of the wicked will end in destruction. Now, some people have looked at this psalm and they say, this psalm doesn't always describe accurately life experiences. For example, in verses 32 and 33, the wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Psalm 37, verses 32 and 33, the wicked are going to spy on the righteous. They're going to seek to destroy the righteous, but the Lord is not going to abandon the righteous into his hand. The Lord is not going to leave him in his hand or let him be condemned. The Lord's not going to do that. How about the Old Testament prophets who were killed? How does that match with verses 32 and 33? How about an innocent man who lived next to a wicked king who had power and who wielded that power to kill the innocent man and to take his piece of property. How, does, how do verses 32 and 33 apply to the story of Naboth 
in Ahab and Jezebel in 1 Kings 21, verses 1 through 16. Some people have said, Oh, Psalm 37 just promises too much. It presents an unrealistic picture of the world. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Psalm 37 is assuming a world where many people who are wicked are prospering. Look at the first verse. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. Don't fret about them. Why would there be a temptation to fret over the wicked and over the evildoers if they didn't have something that you didn't that you wanted? Verse 7 and 8 tells us the wicked man prospers because he carries out his wicked schemes. He's carrying out his wicked schemes, which include plotting against those who are righteous in verses 12 through 15. He carries out these wicked schemes, and he often succeeds. No, Psalm 37 doesn't assume a world with no problems. It doesn't suggest that the world will have no difficulties. The very statement of verse 16, better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. Psalm 37 verse 16 tells us we we may have to make a choice in our life between being righteous in having little and being wicked in having much. And if we have to make that choice... Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. Even the description in verse 35 of the wicked as a luxurious tree, even that description pictures a world in which evil often prospers and even and evil often seems like it's successful. What this psalm does, is this psalm tells us, in spite of how things may look, and in spite of the fact that it may seem like the evil are prospering, ultimately the way of the wicked will be cut off. And the way of the righteous will be blessed. They will inherit the land, regardless of how things look different than that. Regardless of how much the wicked man prospers and how many people sing his praises and regardless of how the righteous man is afflicted and has little, ultimately, righteousness is the path of blessing and wickedness is the road to destruction. The wisdom teachers in Israel We're not concerned simply with theological or philosophical arguments. They encouraged people in a way to live in light of the fact that ultimately righteousness is the road to blessing. Righteousness is the path to life. Because of this, the imperatives, particularly in verses 1 through 8, are telling us how to live. Don't be exasperated at the prosperity of the wicked man in verse 1. In verse 3, trust in the Lord. In verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. 
find your highest joy in Him. Delight yourself in Him. He will give you the desires of His heart. Commit your way to the Lord, verse 5. Trust in Him, verse 6. In verse 7, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. These are these teachers, these wisdom teachers in Israel are seeking to get people to live in a way that is consistent with wisdom. They're calling upon people to put their full trust in the Lord in light of the fact that righteousness is the path of in spite because righteousness is the path to blessing and wickedness is the road to destruction. So it encourages us to live in light of that. To live walking by faith in God is to live by faith and not by sight. Because as we look around us, we cannot see from the events that unfold around us that the way to blessing is trusting God. Trusting God, committing your way to God, and resting in Him and waiting patiently for Him. That doesn't always appear to be the way to life. The wicked person who has wicked schemes doesn't, it's not always self evident that that is the road to destruction. To live the way God calls us to is a statement of faith in Him that ultimately our good God will work out all things according to his purpose. Psalm 37 doesn't promise us too much. It points us to ultimate realities that may not always be our experience right here. Now, how does this psalm relate to Jesus? I would say this psalm relates to Jesus in, in many ways because, one, Jesus experienced the same hostility that the author of Psalm 37 experiences, that the author of Psalm 37 says the righteous will experience. Jesus experienced it. Look at verse 12 again. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. In verse 32, the wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. Jesus experienced that same hostility, didn't he? Jesus had people plotting against him in hatred toward him, gnashing their teeth at him, wanting to kill him. Jesus experienced the same hostility that Psalm 37 talks about the righteous experiencing. So Jesus fulfills that psalm in that sense. A second way in which Jesus fulfills Psalm 37 is Jesus lived the way this psalm calls us to live. Jesus trusted in the Lord in verse 3. He delighted himself in the Lord in verse 4. He committed himself to the Lord. He rested and waited patiently for the Lord in verse 7. Jesus lived the way. Psalm 37 
calls us to live. He experienced the hostility that the righteous are going to experience. And he lived the way, he walked in the way of trust that this psalm calls us to. And I would say too, a third point of how Jesus fulfills Psalm 37 is Jesus ultimately experienced the deliverance that this psalm talks of in verses 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Now, if you look at verses 32 and 33, we stated a moment ago, they did not describe the experience of the Old Testament prophets. They did not describe the experience of Naboth and his sons at the hands of Ahab. When it tells us the wicked will spy upon the righteous and seek to kill him, but the Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he's judged, the Lord's not going to let that happen to him. What about Jesus and his experiences? It looked like the father abandoned the son into the hands of the wicked and let him be condemned. It looks like that if we just see the crucifixion. But in the resurrection of Jesus, God provided the deliverance to Christ that he promises in this psalm. God provided the deliverance that he promises in Psalm 37. And what I would say is that Jesus expands the meaning of Psalm 37 even if one goes through their whole life and they don't see vindication in this life as Naboth didn't, if one is not vindicated in this life as the prophets were, vindication will still come in the resurrection. In the resurrection there will be life and God will publicly and openly vindicate his people. As verse 6 said, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noontide. God ultimately did not abandon Christ. God provided deliverance to Christ and the deliverance promised in Psalm 37 finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And Jesus stretches the meaning of Psalm 37 and our understanding. As I stated in the beginning, there's no way I can do justice to this psalm. But I hope what we've had said may help you in understanding it. May the Lord bless you.